0: This is The First Years, a podcast about the unicorns of American agriculture, first generation farmers, and the guts, grit, determination, and business prowess required to be one. Welcome to The First Years podcast. I'm really excited today to have Andrew Fansler on the show. Um, Andrew is from Indiana and he started his farm at a pretty young age. Tell us a little bit about your farm now, Andrew, today.
1: So our farm today, um, as you said, we're from Shelbyville, Indiana. Um, We farm in Shelby County, Decatur County, and Rush County. The farm consists of just shy of 5,000 acres of corn and soybeans. And we raise white corn and yellow corn. And we also raise soybeans for now Dow DuPont, pioneer uh, for seed beans, pioneer uh, for seed beans.
0: Super interesting. But your farm hasn't always been that large or that involved. Um, Tell us about the the very beginning of your farm. I read that you bought your first farm actually at age 17.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Um, So I was not born into a farming family or anything close to it. Um, I started as a kid. Um, I just was obsessed with agriculture. Um, Mm -hmm. when I was for my third birthday, I actually got a John Deere pedal tractor and I always revert back to that, that, um, you know, that was hooked at that point. (laughs) So, um, I worked with a family named Kenny and Cindy Kuhn in south of Shelbyville as a kid growing up and just worked on their farm um for experience not for not for pay and just learned a lot about agriculture through them and learned um work ethic learned how to farm and um you know so while I was in middle school and high school I was spending a lot of time on their operation when I believe I was 15. I had convinced my grandpa to rent me 42 acres of land that he owned um, to farm on my own um, and just trade labor for equipment with Kenny Coon. And they allowed me to do it. I, looking back now, um, my grandpa was probably just throwing the safety net out there, saying, "I'm going to let this kid try it. He's going to fail." and he'll move on to whatever else. Um, he <laughs> didn't way actually for,
0: think you would make a career?
1: I don't think anybody thought <laughs> I could make a career out of it. I'm pretty sure everybody thought it was just a young kid that had an idea that he needed to get out of his system. And hmm. um, so that was year one. Um, year two, I had an opportunity to take on a little bit more land of uh, – friend of my grandma's and um so picked up another 80 acres and then um had an opportunity to purchase that farm it's like you said when I was 17 and I actually purchased it days after my 17th birthday Mm. and um and then it just started from there um I got out of high school in 1997 and went to Franklin College, which is a smaller um, private college south of Indianapolis, and continued to grow the operation while I was there. And you know being at Franklin and being exposed to so many different types of things and different ways of thinking, I was able to bring a lot of that back to agriculture. And uh, really, really try to implement it to help me grow. Um, Sure. I got out of Franklin and... Oh, go ahead.
0: I just am curious, when you're 17 and you go to the bank, what does the banker say?
1: Well, it's funny because in those days, even though it's not that long ago, I don't feel like it was. It was a lot different than today. My grandfather and I went into the bank and saw the bank president and my grandfather said that you know he wants to buy this farm here's the amount of money that he has to put down on it and he's going to need to borrow the rest of it and i actually knew the banker myself as well and he uh, looked at my grandpa and said if he can't pay the loan are you going to pay it And he said well i think he'll pay the loan and <laughs> that was about it. Um, hmm. I had some money saved up at that point. So I took every bit of money I had to put down on the farm and, uh, and they gave me a loan. And to be honest with you, I walked out of the, the bank that day thinking I'd never be able to repay that loan. Um, <laughs> and thinking, I don't even really know what the repercussions are if I don't pay it. So, um, I had nothing when I walked in the door and. If I don't pay the loan, I'll still have nothing. So it, it was one of those deals where you just – you're so young, you don't have an idea of what you're really doing, and um, which, once again, I credit a lot of my success to, to just that. My youth not having families or bills or – I didn't have anything, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I had nothing to lose.
0: Right. Makes sense. So you go to Franklin College and you're still farming at home. Um, how did that yes. work with your school schedule? Well, I guess, do you, did you do most of the farm work on your breaks, like your spring and summer breaks?
1: So yes and no. Um, no, I got to the point where I was able to, you know, not not sure how I did it, but looking back, I was able to lead a perfectly normal collegiate lifestyle and yet still the farm was about 35 40 minutes from school so um, I would just jump in the truck and drive to the farm any chance I got um, to do work and then as far as your spring work and your fall work went um, I was just every every time I had an opportunity even if I you know, only got to spend 30 minutes at the farm. I was just driving back to the farm to get work done and, you know, getting back to school to get my school stuff done as well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of running at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But one of the things that I that I look back on <clears throat> is we had an English writing class that we had to... um develop a fictional business or something that you were going to write some business literature and marketing and advertising on. And my business I chose was Fancler Farms and did a lot of marketing and advertising work um, for the class on Fancler Farms. And then once I was completed with it, I decided to try it out and um, actually was very successful with what I had completed and now it wasn't taken very well from other farmers. They thought Mm -hmm. I was crazy um, by making little pamphlets and things like that and sending them out to landowners that I knew and um, some that I didn't know but um, tried to mainly keep a lot of my opportunity for growth with personal friends and family and stuff that I I knew well and it was very successful
0: but you feel like that strategy wasn't really met well by the standard pro quo or the, the standard um you know what other farmers were doing
1: correct no they they thought it was crazy that I was advertising you know sending letters out and and it wasn't just your normal handwritten letters like I was making little brochures and different things like that that I had designed Mm -hmm. and thought we put the work in, you know, or I put the work into designing it. Why not try to use it? Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and that really paid off for you, correct? Because you you now lease a lot of a large portion of the land that you farm.
1: Right. Um, I lease about 80% of what we farm. And the rest of the land is land that I've purchased and my wife and I've purchased um, over the last 20-some years. Mm -hmm. Correct.
0: Well, that's interesting that that business class is really kind of what I mean, then you wouldn't expect it because it wasn't like it was an ag business class. You weren't even at like a a school known for agriculture, but that just straight business class at Franklin college is really what catapulted your career. It sounds like.
1: Yes. It it, it had a major, it really changed my thought process. You know, prior to that, my farming and business education had all been, you know, what I just picked up along the way. And, um. Mm -hmm. When you change the status quo, you know, things can happen, good or bad, um, but things can happen.
0: Can you share some of the strategies that you've used um, over your career to build relationships with your landlords?
1: Well, I think strategies, um, you know, they, they could be looked at different ways. I just always came back to life principles, and, you know, you know, my grandparents and my family always really were big on me as to, you know, just treat people good and, um, you know, be upfront with them, be transparent with them, and um, you know, when you get a business partner, which is what I consider a landowner, um, you know, just be the best business partner you can be, and so that's really what I've... prided myself on with my landowners is um, once you're we're kind of in you know on the team together um, they get a hundred percent of my effort and a lot of that is not only just hey we're going to do a good job farming your land or um, you know we'll swing by the farm to help you with this or that but um, I also got involved in real estate while I was in college. And so I've got a lot of expertise in real estate matters that like 1031 tax exchanges, um, a lot of ag related type, uh, real estate experience. And so, you know, that's something else that I've always brought along is, you know, if you're a landowner that wants to continue to expand your land base, um, you know, they get all my services at a highly discounted rate as well, which Mm -hmm. brings value to their, um, operation, you know, buying land and as an investment. And so it's really worked out well.
0: Well, that's good to hear. Um, I was intrigued when I was reading some of the things that you do on your website, you know, you share on there that you offer your landlord soil samples and a lot of just like general maintenance. I feel like you really focus on the things that um, you would want if you owned the land and the things that you do mm-hmm. with your own land, but also making sure that you do that with all of the land that you rent.
1: Right. And and that's one of those things that every year, you know, you come to that point where you question yourself, why do we do all this? Because um, it adds so much more of a workload to us. Um, but you know, trying to install more field tile, trying to take care of drainage. Um, you know, like this is a good example. From last spring until this spring, we had a just a crazy amount of rainfall. And we had a lot of gullies cut in fields and things like that. And um, we spent a tremendous amount of time this spring getting all the gullies back in place and you know that's not just take a disc out there and try to throw some dirt in it but it's get the dozer out there get the dirt pan out there and get things shaped up the way they should be and the way they were in the past and you know don't just take a disc and drag it around and you know hope that the dirt stays and that all takes a lot of extra time and effort but in the long run it pays off because it gets noticed um, you get complimented on it, and it makes the landowners really see that you are treating their land no different than yours.
0: Right. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I wonder why more farmers don't don't look at their rented land that way.
1: Well, it always boils back to me is if you give somebody 100% of your effort and you treat their investment no different than it's your investment, good things will happen. Whether that just means longevity on that farm, whether that means a neighboring landowner will notice it and reach out to you, um, you know, there's all kinds of opportunities.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, One thing that you are pretty open about talking about um, is kind of the, um, maybe we can call it resistance from the rural community when you started farming, can mm-hmm. you share a little bit about that experience to maybe encourage other, you know, farmers that are just starting out that might feel the same way?
1: Right. That is that is something that um, I feel like finally, after 20-some years, I mean, I still get resistance even today, but I'm more accepted now that I am actually here to stay than what I once was. Um but I've been told everything, um, you know, bluntly to my face that I'm just a city kid and that I shouldn't be on the farm. And, you know, it's not right that you're farming because your family didn't farm. I mean, I've heard it all. Um, whether it's just people talking behind my back, um, at the local restaurant, or whether it's people straight to my face telling me that I'm not supposed to be a farmer. Um, but one of the things I always say is when you know Sam Walton came up with an idea that he was going to build Walmart, um, he wasn't calling Kmart and Target saying, hey, I'm thinking about opening up a store in your market share area. He just put together a business plan he thought would work and went into that market share to see if he could gain some of it. And when I look at agriculture, I look at it not only as a lifestyle, but it's also a business. And when you put together a business plan, nowhere in my business plan does it say you need to call the neighboring farmers and make sure that it's okay with them what you're doing. (laughs) Um, And not that I'm the type of person that doesn't care about my neighbors, but they're not calling me to let me know what they're doing, so therefore I don't need to call them to let them know what I'm doing. And and with that, um, you know, I just had a conversation with a young man the other day and, and told him exactly what I'm going to say is, you have your own family to feed and you have your own business to run, so do what's best for those. Don't worry about what anybody else says to you unless they're willing to start signing your checks. And... To me, that is a key component is until they're writing the checks and signing them for you to do what you want, you can't listen to them. You just need to go out and give it 100% effort. And, And that's what I've, over all these years, what I've basically come back to is you need to be very good at what you do, you need to be a good citizen to your community, but you need to take care of your family and run your business first.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's pretty sound advice. Um, I know that when we, when we, my husband and I started our dairy, um, same thing, got a lot of resistance and people like to say a lot of nasty things. Like um, I can't tell you how many people in town would say things like, oh, I wonder, you know, how much money did grandma and grandpa have to pay to buy you that? When it was like, mm-hmm. well, actually we went to the FSA office and we got a loan um but that's mm-hmm. still really none of your business you know but people right. just like to say nasty things i
1: think oh yeah you constantly have it i i was uh i had a great uncle that was extremely wealthy and a lot of people had made a comment that i'm sure he got some of his uh, uncle's money to help him and in fact i never got a penny from him mhm and He even owned some farmland, and they made the decision to leave their farmland to a non-for-profit organization, and I never even had the chance to farm a single acre of it. So um, even when I would hear stuff like that, I would think to these people, where do you come up with these stories? Because
0: Mm -hmm.
1: he owned land, and if he was going to give me something, I would think it would be an opportunity to farm his land, but he never even did that
0: right what do you think but
1: people people always talk
0: yeah what do you think that you know I, I feel like in agriculture we we've been talking a lot recently about how there's not enough young farmers and we need to get people um, you know younger people invested in the industry and if they're gonna be met by that kind of opposition why would they want to I mean like what is what is your advice I guess for maybe um, I don't want to say old as an age, but like the farmers that maybe are those kind of people that are saying nasty things about about young farmers or first-generation farmers. What's your advice to them?
1: Well, I would say to your experienced farmers, as opposed to being so negative towards the youth or up-and-coming ag producers, you know, Be a positive influence. If I'm 39 years old and if I look in our county and looked at what I would call principal operators or influencers on their farm, there's maybe 10% of 45 years of age and younger compared to I would say a good 60% of, you know, 55 to 65 and then, you know, then goes on up after that, you know, 75, 85-year-old farmers. And if you look around at, in my county, my main Shelby County, we have roughly 185,000 tillable acres in our county. There's not enough farmers right now to farm at all in 20 mm-hmm. years. And these the guys that are the most critical are your 55 to 65-year-old farmers. And in 20 years, they're all going to be retired. And you mm-hmm. start looking around at who's going to take over all this land. And if you don't want to see large farms, then we need more farmers. And so they need to give them words of encouragement. You don't have to give them money. You don't have to give them even advice if they don't want to, but just stop trying to throw stones at them. That would be the best advice I could give because although I was never, I'd say when I was a teenager, maybe somebody's comments would hurt my feelings, but I quickly learned that just to roll on. And even today when I hear people make comments about me, I just kind of laugh about it. And it almost makes it easier to just get more and more aggressive um, mm-hmm. because you already understand how those people feel about you. Um, so it, it makes you feel like, well, they don't matter. Um, but in turn, that's a terrible way to be. Those people should be encouraging and friendly to the youth, and the youth should be looking at that generation as to what can I learn from them, whether it's just visually watching them, whether it's speaking with them. But education is so important, no matter what it is, to help make people understand mistakes that have been made in the past, things that we've been down that road, You know, don't waste your time, but just encouragement. I mean, it's a little bit of encouragement goes a long way. And just that not negative attitude would go a long way also.
0: Right. Well, it's like they they have literal decades of institutional knowledge that they could could share. um, Yes. Or they could just even get out of the way. You know to quit being a barrier um one thing i want to talk about just briefly um i read that when you were just starting out so in your early years i like to talk about the early years because they're the most colorful um at least yep. they were for us um, <clears throat> we're still in our early years we're only in the fifth year of our business but year one and two were really interesting um yeah but i read i read that um you went no-till out of necessity because you couldn't afford the equipment and i want to hear that story <laughs>
1: Well, so as I told you, I started farming with, you know, Kenny and Cindy Coon, And, um, the year that I went out on my own, we mutually agreed that it was the best thing for us to part ways. And so, um, you know, we'd been using a little bit of no-till, I couldn't afford to buy a tillage tool. Um, I could barely afford to buy a planter. And so therefore <coughs> out of, uh, out of necessity. We became a no-till farm and (laughs) you know, I I always tease with people that I knew what I was getting into early on, but that is by far the truth. Truth (laughs) is I was broke and, uh, had enough money to buy a planter. I had a tractor. And, uh, off I went to start planting.
0: (laughs) You just didn't know how trendy that would be.
1: Had no idea. No (laughs) idea how trendy it was going to be, but that's, that's what we did. Um, Kenny Coon had a younger brother who is, you know, even to this day, his younger brother Rex Coon um, is, you know, like an older brother to me. And Rex was no-tilling at the time. And I thought, he's no-tilling because he wants to. Um, I could surely be able to, I mean, surely this will work. And, you know, so I got advice from, you know, guys like Rex and other people that, And off I went and started planting, um, just thinking it was terrible. I mean, I'm planting (laughs) in stale ground and this just can't work. But it did and worked just fine.
0: So now you never went back. Do you till anything? No.
1: So we do some tillage today um, on farms that, like where we install field tile and things like that. but no, we, we use a lot of no-till. Um, and and then since then we've, we've gotten into using things like cover crops. Um, you know, we're, I still say I'm experimenting with cover crops, you know, 11 years into it now with the cover crops. Mm -hmm. I'm, I still learn something every year with it. And, um, by no means am I even an expert with it. And we try to try to do a couple thousand acres of cover crops a year just trying to figure it out what works what doesn't work and the one thing that I have figured out with cover crops is every single year is different and so it's a constant learning curve as to how do we adapt to them and if they're here to stay and there's something that we need for long term We've got to figure out how to make it work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But that's kind of the story of being a farmer, I feel like, is it's constant change. And I say a lot, the only thing that stays the same is everything will change. And, but, I mean, that's, that's just being a farmer is being able to adapt to change, being a problem solver, and being a hard worker.
0: So I have one question that I ask on every episode of the podcast, um, and so I would like to know: To what you credit your success? Do you think that it's um, timing or luck, or do you think it's you know skill, like your business acumen? What What do you think? What do you think is the reason for your success?
1: Oh, I think it's it's all of the above. Um, timing for me was perfect early to mid 90s um, land prices were down <coughs> crop prices were down um, you know, not having you know outside expenses like you know having house payment or electric payment or anything like that since I was living at home with my mom you know going to high school <laughs> um, timing was extremely important but then on top of timing, I think it was hard work, you know, being creative, thinking outside the box, and not just following the status quo. Don't just do what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandpa always told me, if the crowd's running that way, don't just run with them. At least go figure out what they're running from before you run. And... To me, that's something that always stays with me is don't just do what everybody else is doing. Understand what it is you're doing, why you're doing it, and figure out if it's right or wrong. And so I think those are all things that add up to my success is, you know, timing was great. Um, You know, my work ethic and my drive to succeed is probably a little on the high end. Um, and, you know, just, I think also the more and more people that told me when I was a kid that I couldn't do it, the more and more I decided to myself, not only am I going to do this, but I'm going to be really good at it.
0: Yeah. It sounds like we have similar personalities because my husband teases me because when I say I want to do something like I'm going to go to the gym three days a week for the next two weeks he'll be like no you won't because then he knows I will because I don't like to be told I'm not going to do something
1: right and that's how I am that's how I'm wired and it's I don't care what it is I'm if you tell me I can't do it I'm gonna figure out a way to make it happen Mm -hmm. and so you know no matter whether you're like you said, whether you're gonna try to go to the gym three days a week or you're gonna try to start you know a a, a big company um, your work ethic, your drive, and your willingness to succeed is what you have to have to do it um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: i I go back to uh I love just briefing people on this story because I'm you know personally just so proud of this friend of mine a friend of mine in college um was an average student you know just like the rest of us and um when he got out of college he decided comes up with this idea he's going to sell sunglasses on a website and myself and our other roommates gave him the hardest time that <laughs> it was a bad idea and i don't know why you would even think about doing something like that. And he has built a company that now has several online retail businesses, and the company has become so successful over time. I mean, he's been in several business magazines and business journals, and, and their company was even rated one of the top 50 workplaces. Um, and so it's just incredible to me, but there's another example for young people that if you've got it in you, and you really truly believe in what you're going to do, then just to go for it, Mm -hmm. because it can happen. Um, I'm an example. And, you know, like my friend Randy, you know, he's a great example to what success can be if you're willing to go for it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's one of those hard things where you have to remember what what other people's opinion of you or other people's opinion of your dreams don't, they're not really any of your business and you can't let them be your business because people are going to have opinions, whether, you know, whatever you're doing in your life.
1: Right. Right. And that's, I'm to the point, I'm so leathered at this point that, um, I always tell everybody that, you know, I appreciate their opinions, but, um, they really don't, really don't matter. <laughs> my wife's opinion matters. I have two daughters, their opinions matter. You know, my grandmother's still living, you know, my mom, my mother-in-law, you know, those are people that matter to me and, um, and their opinion does matter. But a neighboring farmer, I don't really worry what his opinion is on our operation.
0: Yeah. Which I think is good. It's good advice. Um, well, thank you, Andrew, for being on today. I loved learning more about your farm, and I thought that you had really good advice to share for young people um, and for those experienced farmers, too, and what they can do to help encourage the next generation. So thank you so much for taking the time today.
1: Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me, and hopefully we'll see more uh, of the next generation up and coming and to continue to make agriculture great.
0: Yeah, well, until next week, um, that's been the First Year's Podcast. Have a great week, everybody.